OCO, Taishu, Shadanalai. I'm Jay Winton Nightwolf, the originator and host of American Indian Indigenous Peoples Truths, Justice for All, the most dangerous show on radio. Creator of all we are, all we have, all we shall ever be. I give to you my most humble gratitude. I thank you for life and all that pertains to life about me. I thank you for giving me this opportunity of life in this form so that I walk among your wonders with knowledge and the options to be considerate and to care. I give you gratitude for those untold buildings of life that graciously gave themselves over to maintain this life over these many years, humbling in me by the unselfish sacrifice just to keep me walking here. So much so as to realize the sacredness of life upon this earth I share, doubly grateful with each day just knowing you placed them here. I ask your forgiveness, O great mystery, for all the petty things I've done, cursing, griping, and groaning over pains and shames that done with so little consideration for all the wisdom one with gratitude for all that you give and all that may yet to come I give myself unto your keeping to let your will be done humbly asking and beseeching to use this aged parchment to face your drum stretch it to its limit until under your slightest touch it gives its loudest drum your drum signals give to all about and all that's yet to come. Forgive me if I should sound selfish, O oh mystery, after all you have already done. But for myself, I have but one wish, perhaps a foolish one, that on a day when the mystery unfolds before me, when the work of this flesh is done, that I may utter, utter with my final breath I did all I should have done. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf. I'm honored today to have as my guest my good friend and brother for a while, his name is Raymond Two Hawks Watson. 
My brother is, uh, is the CEO and founder of the Providence Cultural Equity Initiative. He has a BA degree in political science from Union College, a master's in community planning from URI, and on and on and on. And he's also a candidate for a Jewish doctorate. He is the chief of the Providence-based Mashapog Narragansett tribe. Raymond, thank you so much for being a part of this today. I'm very honored to be back on the show uh, in your presence and being able to have some dialogue, Mike Wolf. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, Raymond, you are the uh, CEO and founder of the Providence Cultural Equity Initiative. Tell, tell us about that. What is that? Sure. So that is a company that I started after receiving an innovation fellowship from the Rhode Island Foundation, which is the state of Rhode Island's largest and oldest philanthropic organization. Um, I was granted a three-year, $300,000 fellowship to pretty much um, set the foundations for the state's cultural sector and economy. Uh, leading up to this, I had done a number of cultural development work in the city of Providence that was impacting the state as a whole, of course, based in American Indian history and culture. But for anyone who's familiar with Rhode Island and Providence in particular, it's one of the most diverse places in the U.S. per capita. So growing up, I knew people from uh, numerous Latino backgrounds, including Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Guatemalans. There are heavy West African populations here from Nigeria, Ghana, and Liberia in particular. Mm -hmm. um, we have a number of Caribbean populations here. And then, of course, you have your Irish, your French, your English, all of these different cultures that are here. So basically what my premise was when I went to the fellowship was that if the state started to treat its cultural diversity like it treats its other natural resources, its beaches, its woods, all of these different things, then it could really set a specific and unique narrative for itself and attract national and international attention, particularly around generating economy through cultural tourism. So I was granted that award, and I started the Providence Cultural Equity Initiative with it. So our focus is really on stewarding and ambassadoring Rhode Island's cultural sector and economy uh, to the world, we like to say. Of course, starting here regionally in the New England area, but then advancing into the Mid-Atlantic and other areas and really just pushing Rhode Island on a national and international level, most notably, I would say, based upon the state's very intimate relationship with the King Philip's War. And for those who may not be aware of what the King Philip's War is, it is arguably the bloodiest war per capita on U.S. soil since European contact. And it was the definitive war that really solidified the what would be U.S. as a power to be reckoned with. It was a war between local nations, the Poconocets, Nahigansets, Nipmucks, the Massachusetts bands, a number of different tribes fighting against the English colonies of Rhode Island, Connecticut, Mass Bay. I'm missing one. I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head at this moment. But after that war, a number of uh, Indian tribes, a number of the members of the Indian tribes were sent off into Indian slavery. Mm -hmm. um, this was after the Pequots were first enslaved in 1636, I want to say, or 1638. The King Philip's War followed up after that. Um, it got so bad that they called it being Barbados because they would send our people off into Barbados, into the Caribbean islands. And if you look at the timeline and the matchup, a lot of the um, 
uprisings on the islands, particularly down in Barbados and places like that, coincided directly with the um, integration of New England Indians into those communities. So what we were finding through research is that as the Indians were being shipped out of here because they were too rowdy to stay here, they were going down, intermixing with the Taino populations and Arawak populations down in the Caribbean region, and then collectively they were starting uprisings down there that really had a tremendous impact on slavery and the slave trade all throughout that region. So um, we just try to share that history and that culture specific to Rhode Island and then building upon that foundation, talking about the numerous other cultures and communities that have come to call Rhode Island their home. Mm-hmm. And basically saying to anyone who doesn't know Rhode Island, well, absolutely you should be coming here because we've got all of this cultural diversity. If you want a taste of the world, come on here to Providence. Come on here to Rhode Island, and we'll give you a, a taste of it on a manageable level. And then if you like this, you can definitely go other places. But come start here in Rhode Island. It's a great place to visit, great place to call home for those of us who choose to stay here. And that's pretty much what PPI's goal and agenda is. All right. Now, you made a statement earlier that I've been talking about for eons, slavery in the Americas. And my my point has always been that the first slaves in this so-called United States project, British project, Mm -hmm. were our people, were Indians, not blacks, but Indians. Am I correct? Absolutely. So many people, if you're aware of colonial history, you might have heard of this character called Squanto. Mm-hmm. Um, his actual name was Pesquantum, and that wasn't even his name. That just means man in the Massachusetts dialect. So they were just calling him man. But prior to him bringing the pilgrims to meet with uh, the Massasoit, who was the leader of the Poconocet Nation, the Poconocet of the nation that met the pilgrims and signed the first peace treaty, he had been shipped into slavery twice over into Europe. Right. Indian slavery was going on here from the 1500s. It's just not spoken about. And then um, if anyone's on YouTube, if you go to Brown University's channel and just type in Indian slavery at Brown University, in 2016, PCEI did a panel discussion on the Indian slave trade with a number of scholars from Brown University, Roger Williams University, and uh, Rhode Island College. Um, We had spoken about uh, the good Dr. Taino Palermo, who is of Taino heritage by way of the South Bronx in New York. Right. Um, he was on that panel as well, and it was just a fantastic discussion that really laid out a large part of this history that's very seldom spoken about. Indeed, to your point, Nightwolf, the Indians were the first slaves, and then when they found that it was too hard to enslave Indians in their homelands because they knew the terrain, they knew when to run off, they knew where to hide, then they started bringing in African slaves because, of course, if you transport someone from their homelands into a new land that they don't know anywhere about, they're less likely to try to run. They're going to probably be a little bit more manageable because they just disoriented and don't know anything around them. And that was really the transition that's really not spoken about. There's so much focus on the African slave trade and of course, horrendous time period. Definitely it needs to be given its due diligence and honor, but we can't forget the Indian slave trade that preceded it and in many instances continued simultaneously with it. Absolutely. Now, Raymond, you, you know, you're, you're really hitting upon some points that are very, very dear to me. My father's mother was Taino from Old San Juan, Puerto Rico. She was, uh, her name was Sylvia Robles Cruz. 
and, mm. and of course my father's father was a Shoshone, Eastern Shoshone and a Cherokee mix. On my mother's side, they have always been Cherokees and we have that history back to, I, I asked my grandmother that, um, that time, one time and I said, Grandma, how far back does our history go? She said, before Columbus. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and that was her answer. What I would like to also pull up in this discussion with you, brother, is this white-on-black murdering that's going on mm. by the different white police factions in this country. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? It's absolutely horrendous. I just posted something on Instagram where uh, it's, the, the cop yesterday who nailed on the gentleman's neck to death yeah, and juxtaposed next to a picture of um, Colin Kaepernick nailing. And I posted, if you had an issue with the picture on the right, Colin Kaepernick was on the right, but you're now defending the picture on the left and that's the cop nailing on the gentleman's neck till he died. I said, unfriend or unfollow me right now. Um, mm-hmm. It's all based on basis. That, that's what the basic un- understanding people need to have. These individuals valuing their own lives or their own sort of existence over that of people who are more melanated than them that they decided to call black. So it's all based on racism and racial undertones. I think that racism has gotten a lot more, uh, what's the word I want? Strategic nowadays where they won't call you a nigger to your face, but their actions say it. Yeah, and you know what? I, I have a lot of people that I talk to and they said, well... Uh, this all came about with Trump when he came in office. No, it did not. This no, it started. Did not. It started from the first day the European invader put his foot on our soil in the Western Hemisphere. That's where it started. It's Absolutely. just. It's it's just just gotten more heightened with this yes. Id, this idiot that we call the president in the White House. Yes. Your thoughts. I'm in full agreement. I mean, I live here in Rhode Island. Rhode Island's been called the Mississippi of the North. And I've had several racist interactions throughout my life living here in Rhode Island. And a lot of times people are so, like, surprised because they're like, well, it's New England. And then I'm like, yeah, once again, speaking to the King Phillips War, this is where they first started killing Indians off and enslaving them. So to think that something that started this country and was fundamental to this country, I mean, the country was started for white people. That never went away. Yeah. They, you know, allowed some other people in. But what I always like to keep in mind is when I see these things, this is what this country was founded upon. So we're fooling ourselves to think that this just started with Trump. I think perhaps under Trump, individuals with certain feelings feel more emboldened to mm-hmm. be vocal about them and to show them. But by no means does racism pop up just with the election of a president. I think anyone who's arguing that probably needs to do a little bit more research into the history of racism in this country. And you know, another thing that, that, that we don't talk, well, not we, but people like us talk about it, is um, this. we know about this white-on-black racism, but what mm-hmm. about this black-on-black racism? When you get folks that feel that they have made it because they got six or seven figures in their bank account that yep. they can look down their noses at other people their color. Yep. yep. And then you've also got it in, 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 in Indian tribes too. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Go right ahead, brother. Sure. So I think a lot of that is P 
people, once again, not understanding the history of where these things come from. So from my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Brother Nightwolf, but this whole idea of being a white person started in around 1676 with the Bacon's Rebellion. Yeah. And that was poor Africans, poor Europeans, and Indians who were looking to assimilate first fighting against the Indian tribes that were down, and I think, in the Virginia area. Yeah. And then turning around fighting against the British colonial powers. So the British colonial powers, once they put that rebellion to rest, um, had dialogue back and forth and said that we need to figure out a way to divide these people because if they get together and unify like they just did, we could be in a lot of trouble. And I think a couple of years after that is the first time this term white is introduced into law. And it starts the division of poor Europeans who were doing just as badly as their mm-hmm. African counterparts and Indian counterparts somehow buying into this notion that because their skin tone's a little bit lighter, they have something up on the other people. Well, you know what? So, they weren't white when they wait. came here. They were British. They were Irish. They were Germans. <laughs> they decided that, you know, in order to get the upper hand on these people that we're meeting every day and having conflicts with, then we mm-hmm. need to separate all of us that came from Europe and start calling ourselves white. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. And one of the things that we challenge people in PCEI, we, we started an institute for social cohesion. And for us, social cohesion is the intersection between conflict resolution and nonviolence and cultural equity work. One of the workshops we do is what's your narrative? And we like to focus it right at the people who like to call themselves white. And we say, well, when did you become white? Mm-hmm. What were your grandparents? Well, they, you know, they came from Italy or they, so if your grandparents came from Italy, i.e. they were Italian, how did you become white? But you know what? If you go to Italy or Sicily and you call an Italian or Sicilian white, he's ready to fight you. He'll tell you in there, a minute, I'm from North, I'm Northern African. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And Brother Nightwolf, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I've had the opportunity to travel internationally a couple of times over the past few years. And that was the big, one of the biggest eye-openers for me when I got over into Europe, that this whole white thing is very much a American thing. Yeah. When you come across the seas, you get into this white-black thing. When we were over in um, one of the Eastern European nations, when we got over there, you know, the brother was asking me, and this is a gentleman that I would have called white, He's asking me, is racism really as bad as they, as they hear about on the radio? And I said, well, yeah, it really depends. Then he starts sharing what's going on there, and they're not arguing over skin tone. They're arguing over religious beliefs. So they had a lot of Muslims coming in mm-hmm. to the area. And that's who they were fighting with, and they didn't care what your skin tone was. They didn't like the Muslims coming in. So, one... I didn't get asked at all. There was no pushback at all when I told them I was American Indian and Narragansett. It was like, oh, heard so much about your people. So happy to meet you. So that was one thing that was, you know, very encouraging and uplifting to me, but really made me think about what was going on back here. And then secondly, once again, trying to get an understanding around this race concept because that wasn't something that they necessarily had over there or it wasn't as prevalent Mm-mm. as it is in the Americas. It's all about economics, control control the power of the dollar. And like you, I went, I've went. i been to Germany, I've been to France, I've been to, to Spain. I actually mm. went to the birthplace of uh, 
Cristobal Colombo, the one that they call Columbus, okay? Mm -hmm. And those people there was just as kind and nice and genteel to mm. me. And they said to me, I know you're not from here. Are you from the United States of America? I said, yeah. But what are you? I said, I'm Cherokee, Shoshone, and Taino. And they looked at me like, what is that? I said, that's, called, I said, that's Native American. And I had some of these people over there that were just as white as snow. They, they hugged me, shook my hand. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? I need, I need to learn more about your people because they tried to murder all of y'all people, your people. I said, yeah. I said, and there were some Spanish explorers, not explorers, but explorers that, mm. did, that did it to us too. They said, well, I don't know about that, but if they did do it and you said they do it, they did it, I would like to apologize on behalf, mm. uh, on behalf of the Spanish people because we're not like that. Mm. That, mm. that blew me away, Ray. That blew me away. Mm -hmm. I got more free coffee that day. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, what, what makes it so, so bad is how we as Indian people were the ones that assisted the escapees from these plantations. Mm -hmm. um, Harriet Tubman was a real close friend of uh, Chief Skinnendor of the Oneida people. And Skinnendor mm. was the guy that, in New York State, that would wait until 50 to 100, maybe two or 300 escapees were assembled there in, in their territory on their land. Mm. And he would have his guides and warriors to take them into Canada for absolute freedom, running away mm. from these crazy Europeans down here that were trying to enslave everybody. Mm. So... You know, we have a common bond with people that, that 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 a lot of folks don't don't think we should have that bond with. But yeah, I look at at people as the human family because uh, Crazy Horse and and uh, Red Cloud and all those guys of the Lakota nations, they always looked at people as being members of the human family. Those four colors: yeah. the red, the black, the white, and the yellow. And yeah. it wasn't about what your color was. It was about your actions and your thoughts and how you, you know, you treated other people. There you go. There you go. And, and I think that when you get to traditional cultures, not the Americanized, the colonized, that's what I think is going along with a lot of Native people today. They're Americanized and colonized and don't realize it. Yeah. And they think because they're at powwows, because they wear feathers, because they do these things, that they're somehow keeping the tradition alive. And the truth is the tradition is dead because there's no spirit behind it. Yes. You can go right over to Africa right now and run into tribes over there that are going to have that same view about the human family. To your point, you went to Europe and met people there who had a similar view about the human family. So you can go all throughout this world and find people who share that same view an outlook on humanity, and then you can compare it directly to individuals here who some of the most super Indians online, but then when you engage with them, downright racist, downright Oh, racist, oh tell, down, tell me about people. it. Um, run into them all the time, Nightwolf. So I have to consistently remind myself that 
it's the Americanization and it's the colonization. Not to hate the individual. Right. Definitely don't like how they're conducting themselves, but trying to give credence to the fact that we have been so colonized and so Americanized that we've internalized it now and don't even realize we're doing it. Thinking that we're protecting our own culture and traditions and rights, we've turned right into what the colonizer and the oppressor wanted us to be, which is angry, disunified, disrespectful, um, racist. All yeah. of the elements that they taught us, we've embodied, and now we're visiting upon each other and others, thinking somehow that we're being how our ancestors were, and we most certainly aren't. You know, a perfect example of that was when I went to the uh, American Indian Society's inaugural ball when Obama was uh, elected, re-elected into office. And, of course, American Indian Society ball, Indians from all over. Mm. And I, I was sitting down talking to this Kiowa, this old, not old, but I'd say middle-aged fool. And uh, I, I said to him, I said, well... What are your feelings on black Indians? What do you mean? I said, like the Cherokee freedmen in Oklahoma. Well, they're really not Indians. I said, no, you're wrong. I said, I was taught that anybody that has any Native American blood, I don't care if it's got black in it, Hungarian in it, or gray squirrel in it, is an mm. Indian. Is an Indian. And, man, we went back and forth for about 15 minutes until I got up and walked out before uh, I would have been accused of maybe violating him because mm. he was so ignorant and stuck on, mm. on self, it actually made me sick to even sit there and talk to him. Mm. And, and this is supposed to be one of the leaders of the tribes uh, in the southwestern part of the United States. And they've gotten to be so brainwashed with this mess about uh, blood quantum. What the hell mm -hmm. does that have anything to do with anything? Sure. That and blood. I think, mm -hmm, go ahead. What's also interesting, Night Wolf, and this ties, I think, directly back to the census. I want to say 1890, or maybe I forget which one it is, but when they started to pretty much classify and divide people along the whole Negro thing. Yeah. And if you were an Indian that looked like you had one drop of Negro blood in you, you were a Negro. Yeah, yeah. It did not matter who or how much, if you looked like it, you were a Negro. But at the same token, if you had white blood in you, quote-unquote white blood, but looked more like an Indian, you were an Indian. And if you had an Indian with white blood in you but looked more white and you could pass, then you could be white. So... It's still this colonization thing of if I look like I have any sort of blood from Africa, it doesn't matter how Indian am I am, doesn't matter how much I keep the tradition, how much I keep the culture, doesn't even matter if I speak the language, doesn't matter if I descend from chiefs, and you know it. If I look a certain way, based upon the colonization we've gone through, I'm not a real Indian, and yet you can have individuals that are as lily white as Europeans and they'll embrace them as Indians. And I do this thing. I say, well, do you call yourself a Euro-Indian? Well, no. I'm, I said, then don't call me an Afro-Indian. We're mm -hmm. Indian. Mm -hmm. I'm a Nahigansid if you want to get specific. But don't get into that blood quantum I look, because I know who my people are. 
I know where I descend from. I know what my people's experience was. I keep my culture alive. I keep my traditions alive. We revitalize in the languages around here. I don't want to hear anything about how you think I look. Most mm. of the Indians around here look like me. So if you got a problem with Indians that look like me, perhaps you want to do the safe thing and stay out of Narragansett territory or Poconoke territory. Maybe you want to stick to your territories where, where they do that at because you're not going to have a good time if you come up here with that mentality. And that's just how I try to keep it. And for the ones who aren't caught up in that, like I, there's all of this stuff online about mongoloid Indians. I'm not into any of that. Mm-mm, if mm-mm. you're an Indian, you're an Indian. That's Plain right. And, and I, it's good to meet another Indian because they tried to kill us all. And, you know, I got a good friend up there. I think you know him. Do you know Tall Oak? Yes, I'm aware of him. I'm, I'm more friendly with his cousin, uh, Billy Guy from the Poconocus. That's Tall Oak's cousin. Yeah, Tall Oak is a friend of mine. And, uh, of course, you know his son, um, Anawan. Anawan yeah. Whedon, yeah. Okay, so I am so happy to talk to you today, brother. And, and you are one of the first of ten people that I'm talking to on my podcast. My podcast um, is um, nightwolfproductions.media, M-E-D-I-A. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes to continue the conversation I'm having with my brother, Raymond Two Hawks Watson. Don't go away.
We're back with uh, this very important moving conversation that we're having with Raymond Two Hawks Watson. Is there anything else that you would like to address while we're here and we got this little bit of time left? Go right ahead, brother. I just think that, you know, there's been so many prophecies and talks about the future times and all that. And I think that right now what people have to understand is that those future times are here. We're we're literally going through a pandemic um, that's killing people off just like our ancestors went through when Europeans first arrived. So I think it's incumbent upon everyone to realize that the time of waiting for those to come and waiting for the time when it's right to do what we're supposed to do, those days are over. We're in the time right now for action. So I've just been encouraging my people up here and everywhere, remember your culture and your traditions because those are what was getting our people through life before this craziness started, this society, whatever they want to call it. Before this started, we were living and thriving in these lands based off of certain knowledges and certain practices. Let's get back to that. We can see this veil of materialism literally falling apart around us. We see complete selfishness where people literally don't care about the health of others as long as they get to enjoy their quote-unquote rights. And all their rights are is conveniences and privileges that they're unwilling to sacrifice for the health and benefit of those around them. So we can see this charade falling apart all around us. And my question is, when it falls apart, what will you have left? When there's no more jobs, how will you eat? Mm-hmm. When they when they come with a vaccine that is too expensive and that doesn't cure you, how will you heal yourself? When there's lawlessness going on in the streets around you, how will you protect yourself? If we're not getting back to our traditional ways, I don't know where people are heading because everything where this society was heading is down the drain into destruction. So it's time to get off of that train. It's time to get back on the right track where we were heading before all of this happened. It's time to your point to stop heeding the call of creator because he's been reaching out to us for a very long time trying to get us to understand that this colonized, Americanized thing is not of him. And yet we've been not listening We've been being disrespectful to each other. We've been being disrespectful to the traditional ways. And I think right now what we're seeing is the end result of all of that. So I'm encouraging all of us to start loving one another again. Mm -hmm. To start remembering what's important. Not Not to have things, but what's important in life. And what's important in life, family, children, loved ones. All of these things that we get away with, be, away from because we have to put more hours into the office so we can buy the next bigger house or the next newer car. All of those things, we need to get away from that and we need to get back to the fundamental elements that made our people the thriving and noble people that they were when Europeans got here. Let's get away from all of this colonized, Americanized stuff and let's get back to those things. And of course, we have to deal with them in the contemporary times. Right. So I'm not you know, leave your house and go live off the land when the lands are polluted. I'm saying remember, remember what the concepts and the foundations were that made our people a great people and let's get back to them because we can see all of this literally before our eyes falling apart. Rhode Island's facing 
a $900 million deficit coming into the new fiscal year. I'm telling my people, don't depend on this state for nothing. I don't even know if it'll be here. But what are we doing to make sure that we're safe? That's the word that I'd like to encourage anyone who's listening to my words today. I have to mention something only to the glory of the Creator. My cousin, you may know her, she's Taino, who lives in the Bronx, New York. Her name is Vanessa Anu. Vanessa was born in Puerto Rico, Taino Indian. She's always been involved in American Indian, everything American Indian. And she was involved, she organized the, uh, the walk, the run from uh, New England down to the southeastern part of the United States. <clears throat> and about two months ago, she was on that walk and fell ill in Tennessee. When she fell Ill, Ill in Tennessee, of course they took her to the hospital. She had COVID-19. Mm. She was in a coma, brother, for two months. Mm. And last week, she woke up out of that coma. She's uh, COVID-19 free, but she's got other issues that she has to deal with, like um, being able to walk and getting her muscles back and stuff like that. Mm. So when I first found out about it, I mean, it was two and a half months before, I was even able to speak to her. Mm. She called me yesterday. I've been praying for that. Please let Vanessa call me. And she said to me, she calls me Lobo. She said, Lobo, I'm okay. It's going to take some time, but I'm okay. Mm. And you just continue to do what you do and and just pray for me some more. I said, I pray for you every day, girl. She said, yeah, I kind of felt that while I was asleep. Mm. <laughs> so, so there is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And she's always used native medications, you know, herbs and stuff like that, you know. And uh, she was forced to use this stuff because she had no say-so being in a coma. Mm. So, you know, we need to, you know, of course learn to relearn how to respect each other again, but also we need to learn how to be more compassionate and mm. open, open to each other and pray for each other, you know. Even if you just see one of your brothers walking down the street, you know, mm. just say, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, absolutely, with a smile on your face. And I yep. know a lot of people don't, they don't smile anymore, man. But when I do that, you be, you would be surprised at the response I get. And they look at me and say, I'm all right, brother. How you doing? I'm fine, man. What's your name? And, uh, well, my name is, oh, what's your name, man? My name is Henry. Henry what? <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, well, what's your name, brother? That sparks the conversation, the conversation that, 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 that starts the reunification of us on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Mm. And that could be like the worst virus. That was, mm. that was spread so far and so fast, Raymond, mm. that um, you never know. If they can bring smallpox over here and, and try to kill all of us, then we could spread some love to each other and just think of what that could do. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's brother, it's been an honor to talk to you today and it's always an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. And hopefully in the very near future once they lift this ban and these fools stop gathering like, you know, there's no problem. My and goodness. This, yeah, I mean, can you imagine every state in the union has a lot of problems with this COVID-19 and and it's still spiking. And you want to go out there and mix and mingle with people without a mask on your face to protect other people and to protect yourself. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, excuse me. Brother, thank you so much for being on with me today. And I'm not going to ask you, will you come back again? I know all I got to do is call you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. I'm a phone call away. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much, man. And uh, we'll talk again soon. And I'll leave you with... Uh, these words in Cherokee, Donada, Goai, Wado. I and I respond by saying, Akwani Kapish Kanash, peace be unto you, and I look forward to connecting soon, brother. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Out. Peace out. As we close out this edition of Nightwolfproductions.media, I would like to say Native lives matter. We are no longer accepting apologies. We're only accepting changed behavior. So keep your damn apologies and your continued attempts to colonize the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere. Our black sisters and brothers and those that are coming from south of Tejas, Texas, and everywhere else that you have brainwashed with your craziness and murderous tactics. We don't need your empathy. The recent murder of our good brother George Floyd, George Floyd should be alive today with his family and friends. George's family will never see the gentle giant again in this life. I've heard so many of you say Why you guys always look so angry? You got a hell of a nerve to pose that question to Indians when your ancestors time and time again committed genocide on us. There were over 112 million of us here when your ancestors arrived approximately 500 plus years ago. We are less, 115 million because of your murderous tactics on us. Native lives matter. When is enough enough? You murdered our elders, our women, our men, our children because you wanted our land. You kidnapped our children and put them in boarding schools. You cut their hair, dressed them in European clothing, beat them if they dare speak their native language. You raped the little boys and girls. You changed their names to European names. And you have the nerve to look at us and ask why we look angry and mad all the time. Think about what your ancestors did to us. A prime example of this continues today with police brutality and murder of Indians in America. Native lives matter. Suquamish tribe descendant Janetta Riley, 
a 34-year-old mother of four, lay face down on a Sandpoint, Idaho street. One minute earlier, three police officers had arrived, summoned by staff at a nearby hospital. A husband had sought help there because Riley, homeless, pregnant, and with a history of mental illness, was threatening suicide. Riley had a knife in her right hand and was sitting in the couple's parked van. Wearing body armor and armed with an assault rifle and Glock pistols, the officers quickly closed in on Riley. One moving down a sidewalk towards the van, the two other crossing the roadway. They shouted instructions at her to walk around them, showed him her hands, cursing them, she refused. Drop the knife, they yelled, advancing, then open fired. They pumped two shots in her chest and another into her back as she fell to the pavement. Fifteen seconds had elapsed from the time they exited their vehicles. That July evening in 2014, Raleigh became another native killed by police. Patchy government data collection makes it hard to know the complete tally. The Washington Post and the Guardian of the United Kingdom have both developed databases to fill in the gaps, but even these sometimes misidentify or omit Native victims. Another example of police brutality and murder of Native people is this. Lakota man shot and killed by a police officer inside of a church. Monday, April 22nd, 2019, not too long ago. He loved his culture, he cared about his family. Clarence, leading fighter, 32, leaves behind a seven-year-old son. Clarence, leading fighter, didn't stay in the same place very long. The 32-year-old Rosebud Sioux man would often travel between his father's home in Denver, Colorado, and his mother's home in Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. He had grown up in Denver, away from his mother's people, but had moved to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in recent years. On April 14, the leading fighter was shot and killed by a sheriff's deputy inside a church in Rushville, Nebraska, doing Sunday morning services. Clarence Isidore Chucky, leading fighter, was shot and killed by a Sheraton County Sheriff's deputy in Rushmore, Nebraska, on April 11, 2019. He was 32 years old. Nebraska authorities are now investigating the incident, though an initial investigation indicated the deputy who killed leader fighter was justified in his deadly use of force. Initial investigation indicates the deputy used deadly force to protect himself and the parishioners from the potential serious harm. The Nebraska State Patrol said in a news release, the State Patrol is investigating the shooting, which occurred shortly after 11 a.m. April 14 in the Immaculate Conception Catholic Church. The events leading to the shooting began earlier that morning 
at home in Rushville, not far from the reservation border, where authorities found a victim with a broken arm. Shortly after, deputies found a leading fighter at the church, and a deputy shot him, and a few minutes later, leading fighter died not long after that. Nebraska state requires a grand jury to convene as well. A close friend of leading fighters told Indians.com recently that leading fighter didn't own a gun and she believes he had been shot twice in the back. She said an employee of the funeral home had handled his body, told her he had been shot twice. She said she believes her friend was simply trying to escape deputies at the time of the shooting and seeking shelter in a place where he thought would be safe. He is a very compassionate man, respectful, helpful, and a provider for his family, she said. He also liked to beat in his free time to make ends meet. The friend whom Indians.com is not naming because she fears retaliation by law enforcement, said leading fighter would often accompany her to ceremonies like the sweat lodge, and he was a devoted father of his seven-year-old son. He loved the culture, she said. He cared about family. But leading fighter also liked to drink and would sometimes leave the reservation to get away from his family and spend time with his friends. Clarence doesn't stay in one place long, she said. He's always on the go. Native lives matter. Native Americans are more likely to be killed by law enforcement than any other racial or ethnic group, according to the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice. Native Lives Matter. Native Lives Matter, just like Black Lives Matter. Yes, I think so. However, Natives don't get the same publicity. White cops do care. When they kill one of us, they never get convicted. The same mentality continues today. Clarence, leading fighter, was just as important to his loved ones seven-year-old son, his family, and tribal community, as George Floyd was to his family, friends, and community. Native Lives Matter. America, don't you think the murders of our indigenous relatives, all members of the human family, are just as important as anyone else killed by the police? Is this not the Wounded Knee Massacre all over again? Simply murder under the color of law. According to the U.S. Code 18 U.S.C. 1111, murder and torture under these conditions is a federal offense. When is the last time you heard of a police officer charged with this obvious crime? If citizens can be arrested, charged, and convicted, why can't cops? Certainly, George Floyd's murder was caught in the act only because people were standing around with cell phone cameras and filmed it live as it happened. In years past, how many times has the crime occurred where there were no cameras, where the crime was merely swept under the rug 
covered by a false police report. Resisting arrest, he fell, or I feared for my life. So where do we go from there? Should we continue to be victims of police murder? Or should we unite with other members of the human family, the black, the white, and the yellow? Remember what Dr. Martin Luther King said. Somewhere we must discover the world over and we must learn to live together as brothers or we will all perish together as fools. Native lives matter. The key thought to all of this is together we stand, divided we fall. Sisters and brothers, we can do this. Our strength is in our unity and knowledge of the law. Let's do this now. If not now, when? If not us, who? Thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. Remember to tell your family, friends, and others to go to nightwolfproductions.media, M-E-D-I-A, and give us a listen. Dr. Martin Luther King once said, I know you asked him today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men? Darken their understanding and drive bright-eyed wisdom from a sacred throne. Somebody's asking, when will wounded justice? Lying prostrate on the streets of Selma, Birmingham, and communities all over the South, be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men. Somebody's asking, when will the radiant star of hope be plunged against the nocturnal bosom of this lonely night, plucked from weary souls, the chains of fear, and the manacles of death? How long will justice be crucified and truth buried? Yes, sir. I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long. Because truth touched to earth will rise again. How long, not long. Because no lie can live forever. How long, not long. Because you shall reap what you sow. How long, not long. Truth forever on the scaffold, long forever on the throne. Yes, that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Nanada, Gawaii, Wado.
If the white man wants to live in peace with the Indian, he can live in peace. There need be no trouble. Treat all men alike. Give them all the same law. Give them all an even chance to live and grow. You might as well expect the rivers to run backward, as that any man who was born a free man should be contented when penned up and denied liberty to go where he pleases. We only ask an even chance to live as other men live. We ask to be recognized as men. Let me be a free man, free to travel, free to stop, free to work, free to choose my own teachers free to follow the religion of my fathers, free to think and talk and act for myself.